wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast, episode 60, influencers, experts, and bad sleep advice. Would I lie to you? Welcome everyone to the podcast. My name is Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep expert, and most importantly, your host for today's podcast. If you're new to the Sleep Unplugged family, welcome. If you are a veteran of the podcast, welcome back. It's great to have you with us. For those of you who are familiar with the show, and if you're not, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach us through our social media channels, DR Chris Winter Twitter, DR Chris Winter Instagram, DR Chris Winter TikTok, and Threads. We have a YouTube channel with all of the posted videos of our podcast, and you can communicate with the show uh, through that medium. I've written two books, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken, How to Fix It, as well as The Sleep, uh, as well as The Rested Child, Why You're Tired, Wired, or Eatable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder, and How to Help. Again, all music that we discuss through the podcast available through the Spotify playlist that we've posted. It's been a big week. We had a lot of fun talking about bedtime rituals last week, and it was a huge episode. I'm sure you're getting tired of me saying that every time, but the growth of the podcast has been incredible. I don't usually give particulars here, but it's hard not to brag. Last week, we were getting somewhere on the order of about 5.7 million downloads per day, which is really starting to put us in that sort of top five, top 10 podcasts of all, all of them. Joe Rogan Experience, Crime Junkie, New York Times Daily, This American Life. Like we are getting up there and it's all because of your support. You're spreading the word about this podcast and we really can't thank you enough. I'm absolutely humbled that this crazy podcast that we do once a week is, is reached that level. As you know, we always start the podcast off with comments, corrections, criticisms. We had a comment from Tessa who said, I listened to your podcast last week about bedtime rituals, and I do most of the things that you talk about, but I still can't sleep. Well, Tessa, we're really sorry to hear that. We want everybody to sleep well and have healthy sleep. You know, bedtime rituals are kind of like circadian rhythms and uh, sleep hygiene and all the things that we talked about here that they're not going to solve the problems of somebody who cannot sleep, but they can certainly set the foundation for good sleep moving forward. So what I would invite you to do, Tessa, is go back in the Sleep Unplugged catalog and look for all the episodes that begin each month because they're all topics about um, insomnia or in some way related to individuals who are struggling to sleep, who feel like they can't sleep. And, and all of those are really important, including episode number two, insomnia. It's not what you think it is. I would start there and go forward. Tessa, we wish you the best and appreciate you communicating with the show. So the song this week that I chose, most of you, if you grew up when I did, will recognize it as a Eurythmic song, Would I Lie to You? It was the debut single off of their fourth album be yourself tonight and it was a that it was a crusher it, that that track really slaps um and it was interesting because if you're familiar with the eurythmics i remember the first eurythmic song i heard was sweet dreams and it was a killer it was the it was the song that played that entire summer and their second album Sweet Dreams are made of this. Their third album, Touch, were, that had uh, Here Comes the Rain Again, were very electronica, synth, synth heavy, and, and really, really a new sound, even for the early 80s. And when they got together to make their fourth album, Dave Stewart said, I'm going to come up with the most killer 
R&B riff ever. And he really wanted that fourth album to really reflect that kind of rock and roll sound, which Annie Lennox was not entirely on, on, on board with initially, but as they started rehearsing that song, it didn't have a title. He just came up with the riff that, you know, from would I lie to you? She came up with the title, would I lie to you? And all the call and response, all the interesting harmonies. It's a great song. So we're adding, would I lie to you to volume two of the sleep unplugged Spotify playlist. And we've got to put sweet dreams on there just for the title alone. So we'll add both those songs to the playlist. So let's get into the episode. This is an episode I've wanted to do for a very long time. I know I've made little references to how I love neuroscience and what they talk about sleep and how I hate it all at the same time. You know, there's headlines that we hear all the time in the news. There's a sleep epidemic. And if you don't get enough sleep, it doubles or triples your risk for cancer. And here are some ways you can hack your sleep and get by with a few hours and some guy or gal on a TikTok video is telling you all this stuff and you're thinking, well, maybe I'm, sounds pretty legit. This guy looks like he knows what he's talking about. But I just see so much bad sleep information out there that I really wanted to put this, this episode together. And what really made it happen was the riots that happened in New York this past week when Kai Sinata influencers got millions, millions of followers simply said, I'm going to give out some gift cards and some PlayStations. And New York City went crazy. I mean, there were thousands of people. They rioted. They were hurting each other. They were throwing things at police officers, all because this one individual who wields incredible amount of influence said they were going to hand out some game consoles. And I think that a lot of individuals who have influence in this space are not necessarily the people who have expertise in what they're talking about. And even some that have the expertise are taking it to levels that really don't make a lot of sense. And we'll talk all about that. And it really boils down to differentiating misinformation from disinformation from bullshit. And I'm using bullshit in the most technical term. Bullshit is actually a thing. It's got definitions that we'll talk about. And so when we look at the bad sleep information online, I want to sort of think about them in terms of those three categories and what they ultimately mean. So let's define them very quickly. So misinformation is getting facts wrong. It's making mistakes in what you say. I would say, quote unquote, honestly. And there's lots of misinformation in the Sleep Unplugged podcast that you're listening to. So if you're a fan of the show uh, or a super fan of the show, one of, the, uh, one of, our, one of our friends of the show, Karin Johnson, has been a malicious target of misinformation pretty much since the show began. We mispronounce her name. We have gotten the name of her organization wrong, I believe. I think in one episode, I accidentally said, you know, Karen Johnson really working hard on uh, daylight saving time. And what I meant to say was, no, no, no. She's working really hard to eliminate daylight saving time. She wants to make standard time everywhere. Eliminate daylight saving time. Everybody's on standard time. We sleep better. We're healthier people and we move forward in our, into our future. So, and we always, always, always start the show off with CCC, comments, corrections, criticisms. The corrections are really important to me. So anybody who writes in and says, Chris, you got this thing wrong. You made a mistake in what you were talking about. We're going to talk about that and put it on the air. And I've done it before. So I think that it's really important to be transparent in that way. So misinformation is just getting your facts wrong. 
and you print the retraction, you you say, hey, we said there were 6.2 billion, it was actually 2.6 billion, and you move on. So let's differentiate that from disinformation. Disinformation is when you're deliberately intending to mislead. You are lying. Why would you be doing that? Well, probably like everything else, you're doing it to make money or influence people. So you see a lot of it in commerce and you see a lot of it in politics. Let's lie about our opponent to gain favor with the voting public and get into office so we can make the laws. Let's lie about the effectiveness of something so we can sell it and make lots of money. And I'll give you a great a great example of disinformation, in my opinion, uh, has to do with Nareva. Nareva is the nootropic. Nootropics are chemicals that enhance brain functioning. And there's not a lot of them. You know, some people think stimulants are and et cetera. But you know, the most commonly sold neurotropic is Prevagen, which has the um epicornin, the jellyfish chemical that's never been shown to do much of anything. Yet they sell it, you know, preying upon people's fears of losing their cognitive abilities or grandpa's got. Uh, Alzheimer's disease. So we're going to give him that to try to maintain this kind of thing. And the commercials are just ridiculous. And anyway, so that's the most common one. The second one is Nareva. It sold $100 million last year, I believe, in sales. And their spokesperson is Mayim Bialik, the Blossom, sometimes Jeopardy host. And she comes on the commercial and says, Nareva Plus is backed by strong science. Yes, I checked it myself. It combines two clinically tested ingredients that help support six key indicators of brain health. So, wow. And, and then she goes on to say, and I know because I'm a neuroscientist. Well, what's a neuroscientist? A neuroscientist is somebody who studied neuroscience. That could be somebody who took some undergraduate courses in neuroscience, got a, a neuroscience degree as an undergraduate. Uh, but in Mayim's case, she actually went on to grad, grad school and got her PhD in neuroscience. Now it had nothing to do with brain health, she did her neuroscience on Prader-Willi, which is a genetic disorder that affects individuals neurologically. So neurologists like me see a lot of them in, in their sort of general clinic. I don't treat Prader-Willi people at all because I just deal with sleep, but neurologists in general do. So yes, yeah, she's a neuroscientist, but she didn't do work on, on this and really didn't do any kind of postdoc lab work at all. She got her PhD and went to Jeopardy, I guess. So, so what are these two ingredients that are backed by quote strong science there too one is called coffee cherry extract which is sometimes known as cascara which is the spanish word i believe for husk because it's actually the husk of the coffee plant so if you go to a coffee uh farm which i went to one time in uh, puerto rico it's amazing so much fun to see how coffee's made i mean i'm wearing my Shenandoah Joe coffee shirt because it's my favorite coffee shop here in Charlottesville. I have no financial affiliation with them, but I am drinking their product right now. Um, coffee is amazing. And when you go to these farms, you can see that they're they're getting the coffee bean, but the coffee plant has a fruit, has a flower of fruit. And, and this is the coffee cherry extract or the coffee flower. Um, and it's it's a byproduct. It's trash. You can see it everywhere when you go to these plants because as they process the beans, they're throwing away these these this coffee cherry extract. Well, somebody said, I wonder if there's any use for it. Kind of like if you were making lumber, you got all this extra wood. Well, let's chip it up and make dog bedding and sell it. Well, that's exactly what they've done with coffee cherry extract. They're selling it 
as some sort of health product. And in fact, they sell it for a lot of money, 400% more than what you sell the coffee bean for, according to Forbes magazine. So what does coffee cherry extract do? Two things. Number one, there was a study that showed that it might improve reaction time in a small group of people. Now, when Blossom says this is going to improve six key you know, functions, brain health functions, reaction time is not one of them. The second thing is this drug may increase something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. BDNF high levels are associated with better cognitive functioning. Now, they're associated with it. There has never been a causal relationship, meaning if I can increase your BDNF levels, it is not known whether or not that will affect your cognition at all. It's kind of like there is an association between wrinkles and dementia, right? Because older people tend to get dementia. So when you find dementia, you're probably going to find wrinkled skin. Now, do I think that if I can smooth your skin out, that's going to make your dementia better? Of course not. That makes no sense. Even though there is a strong relationship between those two things. And we talk a lot about this show between the differences between relationships and causation. And so that's it. That's, that is the extent of the research on coffee cherry extract to help with cognitive function. Now there is another chemical in Nareva called phosphatidylserine. One study in older age mice that showed when they had that, they got through a maze a little bit quicker. There's your research. So this drug is being sold to you and your parents and individuals with cognitive impairments, which is a tragic situation to be in. I have lots of personal experiences, do I'm sure a lot of you. So there's this weird tyranny, isn't it? You want to do something and you've got a neuroscientist telling you that she is, and again, I'll quote, giving you something that's backed by strong science that she is a neuroscientist has looked into. Well, of course you're going to support it. And so is this misinformation? No, I think this is disinformation. I think this is actually, you're misrepresenting something that you know. I don't think that they are, are not aware of this information. I think they misrepresent. In fact, there was a lawsuit, Williams et al. versus Reckett Beckinser, Beck Bensinking, gosh, I have no idea, Benskisser, LLC. Uh, this was filed in U.S. District Court in Southern Florida as a class action lawsuit against Nareva. And so people said, look, you're misrepresenting this. You're lying to the public, and they won. There was a settlement. Well, I, I should say this. There was a settlement. I don't know if you consider that winning or not. So to me, this is a great example of medical disinformation. And it's really disappointing to me that somebody with a neuroscience background, somebody who's got a platform like Mayim Bialik, it's going to put her name and reputation and frankly, the reputation of neuroscience behind this product. So anyway, so let's move on. We've talked about misinformation, disinformation. The final, the final category is bullshit. What is bullshit? So to me, bullshit has a definition. So one of the greatest things about researching this podcast was understanding that bullshit is actually talked about. It's it, There's a specificity to bullshit. Bullshit was defined by uh, a uh, uh, philosopher, Frankfurt, in 2005. It's a two-part definition. Part number one is you're saying something designed to impress. You're trying to get people to pay attention to you. That's the first part. 
the second part is that it's constructed in a way that there's no concern for the truth. So you're not intentionally trying to lie. You just don't know what the truth is. You're just pulling something out of your rear end to sound important or be impressive. And I think the internet is loaded with bullshit. I think politics, to some extent, loaded with bullshit. Does that politician truly not know the answer? Because what he or she is saying is not true, but I don't think they know the truth anyway. They're just trying to sway an audience with, with powerful sounding words and rhetoric. So that's what bullshit is. So let's give an example of bullshit. I think a great example of bullshit relates back to episode 40 of our podcast where we were going through bad sleep advice. And one of the pieces of bad sleep advice I pulled from was from the Huberman podcast. Now, Huberman is a neuroscientist, a real neuroscientist out at Stanford. 4.5 million followers as of right now. I'm sure by the time this podcast reaches your ears, it'll be 4.7 million. So massive platform. And he said in one of his podcasts or in some interview that, look, you need, when you're consuming caffeine, you need to wait an hour and a half to two hours before you consume it because scientifically it's been proven that when you do that, you will avoid your caffeine crash. And let me tell you something, when I went out to Major League Baseball spring training, I had so many baseball players asking me this question. Hey, sleep dog, I'm going to ask you a question. Should I not be drinking caffeine when I wake up? Is that bad for me? Is that, Am I making myself crash during the day? And as I started looking into it, I was like, where are you getting this info? Why are you all asking this question? Oh, it's because it was on the Huberman podcast. Oh, okay. Well, let's look into it. And so I talked about this in episode 40, if you want to hear my explanation. But the fact of the matter is there is tiny, very, very little evidence and it's scant evidence that would support what he's saying. Now, do I have a problem with you waiting before you drink your caffeine? No, I waited a couple hours before I consumed mine today. Cheers. So there's not a problem with it. But when you're coming out and making bold, attention-grabbing statements. In fact, there was a research, there was a research study on bullshit. It was called On the Reception and Detection of Pseudo-Profound Bullshit. That was the name of the title. So it's pseudo-profound, isn't it? How do you get 4.5 million followers as a scientist? You say profound, attention-grabbing things. And so anyway, I said, this is this is bullshit. I don't think I use the word bullshit because I didn't know you could say bullshit and, and be scientifically rigorous with saying it. But I said, this isn't true. And I gave a lot of reasons why not only is it not true potentially, but I can give you equal information that would say waiting two hours to consume your caffeine might make your crash even worse. And so obviously there was a lot of pushback from learned individuals. And interestingly enough, three days ago, Andrew Huberman on the Huberman Lab uh, Twitter page I'm sorry, Instagram page wrote, you don't have to wait 90 to 120 minutes after waking to consume coffee. And then he goes on and gets you to sign up for his free newsletter. And I don't know, you know, try to grow his population, but he's definitely walking it back. And if you look in the comments, you can see people saying, well, I drink my coffee. I've waited two hours to drink it. And you're right. It's really helping me avoid my crash. And a number of people who are saying the opposite, that it doesn't help me. And there's no research for this. So why would somebody do this? I can tell you exactly why. Because my my middle child, my son, says to me, your podcast is good, your Instagram is good, but dad, you've got to do things that are more shocking. Right. I get it. That's the generation he lives in. 
to simply have a podcast and a social media platform where you're just putting out good information kind of doesn't cut it, right? Huberman, 4.5 million followers. Chris Winter, 8,500, right? Right? So what are you going to do? You got to make a splash. You got to say things, even if you walk it back. So do I think that he's giving misinformation? No, I don't think he made a mistake here. There is some little bit of information there that he's drawing upon. Do I think this is disinformation? No, I don't think Andrew Huberman is intentionally lying at all. Do I think this is bullshit? Yeah, I think it's absolutely bullshit. I think it's it's designed to be pseudo profound and attention grabbing, but doesn't have a lot of merit to it. There's not a lot of concern for what the real truth is because I have this one study, you know, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, good for him for walking it back. I mean, uh, Matt Walker did the same thing with blue light glasses not too long ago. said, you know what? I've been reading more about the research here. And he basically said, I think there's less to this than maybe what I put in my book. Great. I'm sure there's all kinds of things that we'll come back to and say, you know, I really kind of missed the mark on this thing. I think we, I mean, menopause, my God, I've, I've, I've been walking back menopause personally for years that I just didn't know much about it. We weren't trained about it in medical school, certainly didn't get a lot of sleep training in menopause about it. And menopause is really having its moment right now. So anyway, so when you think about all these things, why do we care? It's because these things spread quickly. There was a particular news story in 2016 during the political cycle that was known to be false. Everybody knew it was false. And it was viewed 38 million times in three months. So these kinds of viral misinformation, you know, in whatever politics or sleep matter, because when they get out there, it's hard to rein it back when you've got a platform of 8,500 people. And there was a really interesting research study looking at how this kind of mirrors actual infectious disease. So they actually, when you look at infectious disease like COVID, there's something called the R naught. It's an R with a little zero. It's called the basic reproduction number. In other words, when I get COVID, how many people am I likely to infect on average? And the R naught for COVID is somewhere around 1.5 to probably eight. Initially, it was much higher because there were, A, more people to infect because nobody had it, and B, we probably overestimated the spread a little bit. It's probably thought to be closer to two now. And again, I'm not an epidemiologist, so if I'm giving you misinformation, we'll correct it later. But it's about two, 1.8, 2.5, somewhere in there. So let's look at the r not of bad information. So let's look at my podcast. I have 8,500 people who follow me on Instagram. I'm going to put out some terrible information about sleep. Do you know that if you drink lemonade followed by a shot of salt water, you'll sleep better tonight? That's my bad information. It's totally made up. There's no scientific merit to it. I put it out there to my 8,500 followers in a post. And 1% of those people tweet it out or share it to somebody else. Very conservative number. So that would be 8,500 sent out. 85 people are sharing that. So that's an R naught of 85. Measles has an R naught of 15 to 20, either 12 to 12 to 20, 15 to 20, 12 to 19, somewhere in there is the measles R naught. Very contagious. It's going to when it gets into a population, if they're not inoculated, they're going to they're going to get measles pretty much. So anytime the R naught is above one, the 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 entity will spread. 
So my R naught is 8.5. Now you say, okay, great, Chris, but it gets sent out to a bunch of people, but they don't on average have 8,500 followers, right? Yes, you're right. The average individual on social media has about 550 followers. So once again, sent out to 550 people, it's going to get sent out by 1%. That's 5.5 people. That's still an R naught of 5.5, much more contagious than COVID. So you can see when bad information gets out there, it spreads quickly in this day and age because we have the means to allow it to spread, i.e. social media. So what influences whether or not these things spread quickly? Well, age, education, obviously, um, some people are more, but even highly educated people can be prone to bad information and spreading bad information. We can all be manipulated. Uh, are you open to conspiracy theories? But the what I want to focus on is sort of reasoning, and I can break that into intuition versus deliberation. So intuition, I'm going to I want you to consider this problem because it's a common problem that, that demonstrates what I'm about to say. You have a ball and a bat, and together the ball and the bat cost a dollar and ten cents. The bat costs one dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? So I'm going to guess, as you're sitting here and thinking, and if you want to think about it for a second, I'm not going to give you too much chance to think about it. But if you're thinking about it, you're going to say, well, it's easy. The ball costs 10 cents. That is the intuitive answer. And it's wrong because if the ball costs 10 cents and the bat costs a dollar more than that, that's a dollar 10 cents for the bat, dollar 10 cents plus 10 cents, dollar 20. The actual answer is the ball costs five cents. Ball costs five cents. Bat costs a dollar more. That's a dollar five the two of those make the dollar 10. So the intuitive answer, which most people will give is incorrect. But if you give somebody more time and maybe a piece of paper and a pencil, they will figure it out. So when we start looking at intuition versus deliberation, we're really talking about time. And there was a 2020 study that showed in the Journal of Experimental Physi uh, Psychology that said it was the title was fake news, fast and slow. Deliberation reduces belief in the false. So why does that matter? Well, how do we get our news now? We pull up our social media feed, there's the video, and we watch it. And 20 seconds later, scroll to the next, and then scroll to the next. Oh, there's a guy skiing. There is an attractive person. Boom. There's a tip about sleep. Boom. You got so as we consume our news that way, imagine true, swipe, true, swipe, totally false, swipe back to true. Did you have enough time? to figure out what that person was telling you who looks like they knew what they were talking about has no basis whatsoever to be telling you that about their sleep. So in the past, we had lots of time. We read the newspaper. We watched Walter Cronkite one time a day give a news broadcast for 30 minutes. And we had the other 23 and a half hours to think about what was being said. And obviously it was more trust and things like that. So what do we do about it? What we do about it is we have to enhance surveillance. I think that most people who like factually correct information like it when platforms like Twitter or Tumblr or Reddit moderate a little bit and try to get rid of obviously harmful or incorrect information. And that doesn't have to be a person talking. There's a lot of bad information in charts and texts and memes and things like that. I think the second thing is we have to know who you're listening to. Who are you listening to? You know, do you believe what they're saying? 
you know, there was a young woman on National CBD Day who was on a platform that I work for saying, hey, guys, just wanted to let you know that CBD, CBD is a great way to reset your sleep when it gets out of whack. And she was just kind of sitting there. She looked like she was a second year in college and made all these claims about marijuana. And then that was the, the post on a platform that's giving out information about sleep. Well, if you listen to episode 37, you know that there's nothing, there's nothing really substantial supporting CBD's benefit in sleep. So she might've been saying, hey guys, this is the alcohol I drink when I want to get my sleep back on track when it's out of whack. Like, I think most people would look at that and like, that doesn't make any sense. But I think enough people are not sure about the relationship between CBD and sleep that again, we're kind of putting out that information that, that is you know, probably bullshit. And I would call that sort of bullshit information. And I think that we have to also understand that we can be prone to manipulation. So we did another experiment in this episode that I want to ask you about. Everything I told you about the podcast performance last week was a lie. We did not get anywhere near 5.7 million episodes for our show last week on Bedtime Stories. We are nowhere near the Joe Rogan experience in terms of podcast performance in the world. So I'm curious how many of you believe that and how many of you were like, oh, that seems a little, a little off. I can't believe it's that good. I, you know, not that many people have heard about Chris and, and how many people were, oh, he's full of shit. He's probably, it's probably a joke he's playing on it. So I'm really curious to know, and we'll put a little poll up of how many people believed what I said at the top of the show, how many people were going to check it later and how many people knew immediately that I was lying. So understand that people who are in the space, I am a sleep specialist. You can look it up. You can call Emory University and ask me if I ever graduated. You can check on me all you want. I am who I say I am, but that doesn't mean that we don't manipulate. And another thing that we want to always make sure we're doing is looking at the disclosures. Who's behind all this? Why would Maya Bialik put her reputation on the line and do a commercial about something that's bogus? It's money, right? Money and influence. Why does Chris do a podcast? Money? Well, it's not money yet, but if Buick wants to sponsor it, we're certainly open to that. So always when you read a scientific paper, go to the end. Who sponsored that paper about Nareva? Was it Nareva? If it is, you better take it with a grain of salt. I think that anytime we're looking at research or listening to influencers, what you want to hear is a lot of the words could, might, and may. Drinking caffeine an hour and a half to two hours after you wake up may make it such that you don't have a crash. It could be helpful if you have that crash midway through the day. When people say things that are definitive, it will. It has been scientifically proven. I've looked at it myself. It's rigorously studied. I love Mayim's two ingredients that have been scientifically studied. Well, shit, I, I've been scientifically studied. I go to my primary care doctor once a year and I pee in a cup and he takes some blood work there. You are listening to a podcast host who's been scientifically studied. Did it show anything? Not yet. In my case, that's great. Didn't show anything with Nareva either. Not great if you're trying to sell it to a bunch of people saying it's going to protect your brain. So, you know, I think we want to look for something where people are not going all in on stuff and saying, hey, this study of 40 individuals suggested that this may be the case, et cetera. The other thing too is nothing new here. 
that's always funny when you read something like criticism, like the reviews of books. Hey, a new book your person wrote on sleep. Well, nothing new here. Nothing new here to me is a ringing endorsement because if there was a lot new, A, you would have heard about it and B, they would have written about it. We can't just make things that are new. And that's the problem with the media. The media wants new, they want fresh, they want surprising. And sometimes that doesn't exist. Finally, I just want you to remember that science is humble and it moves slowly. So keep that in mind the next time you're listening to somebody's social media feed. So that's it. I'm really interested in what you think about this podcast. Did you know I was telling a lie that I was bullshitting at the beginning of the podcast? Let me know. Uh, DM uh, me at uh, DR Chris Winter Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok threads, all the same. Uh, buy my book, Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep's Broken, How to Fix It, and why and the Rested Child, Why You're Tired, Why Your Old Child Has a Sleep Disorder, and How to Help. Uh, take a look at our YouTube page. And until next week, sleep well.